Welcome to The Bear and the Bull. I am your host, Nick Webster, and today on the show, a very special guest, the winningest coach in the history of UC Irvine soccer. 15 seasons he's been in charge, 11 winning seasons, 11 Big West tournament appearances, 9-10 win seasons, 4 Big West regular season championships, and 2 Big West tournament titles back-to-back, and of course, multiple trips to the NCAA tournament. It is my pleasure to welcome Scott Juniper to the Bear and the Ball. Well, thanks very much for having me. That was a very kind, uh, very kind intro. So let's jump straight into this, Scott. And I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to last year and maybe the, the year before that. Before we start delving into different things, are you the? Are you the underdog merchants? The 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 big time cup killers because in back to back seasons you've taken down UCLA and USC in the NCAA tournament. How did you do it? Yeah, great question. We're um, yeah, I think I think we enjoy being the underdog. It's uh, um, you know we go through our conference. We've you know I've been around for quite a while now. So in in the conference we we like to think we win more games than we lose in our, in our conference. So we're we spend less time being the underdog during the conference season. So when you kind of flip that and then the very next week you are, you know, by a long, long way, the underdog, um, it, it, it takes so much of the pressure off of you. And if you can sort of position yourself in that, uh, in that mindset, I think it, um, uh, the, the, the pressure goes all onto your opponent and it really kind of swings that momentum so I think we try and recognise that it's uh, that, that we are the underdog. Um, recognise a few of the things that we can do to to just increase the pressure on them and uh, try and try and hold on to that underdog momentum. And it yeah worked for us two two years uh, two years in a row. It's also a very they're, they're easy games to get up for in Southern California, UCLA and USC. You know, there's not much that you need to tell your team um, about those two squads. They know a lot of players on those squads that. That helps as well. They're not um, unfamiliar. You know, a lot of these players grew up together playing against each other a lot. So uh, while we were heavy underdogs, they were actually quite familiar to us. You talk, talk about mindset. And obviously in, in 2021, when you beat UCLA, I was on the coaching staff of UCSB and we played you twice, once in the regular season and once in the uh, in the postseason. Beat us both 1-0 each time. Right. In the mindset of your teams then, I, I mean, I really admired the um, the setup that you came out with. I mean, your your ladies were tough. They were uncompromising. They never stopped running. How did you build that mindset over the course of the season and then allow that to flourish in a game against the quality of the opponent of a UCLA I think it's just, um, it's more just an everyday thing. I think that's how we train, you know, whether it's, um, you know, the first five minutes of training on a Monday or the, um, or the last minutes pregame. It's, um, you know, we're just trying to hold ourselves to, to those sort of standards in every phase of practice and never get too far, too far away from it. So I think you can take a long, long time to kind of build a habit. Um, part of it's through recruiting. So, you know, we work very, very hard in recruiting to make sure that we're, that we're finding players that, that can bring that and, and sustain it over a long period of time. Um, and then I think a little bit, another little part of it is just the, the composition of the, of the, of the squad, the roster and making sure that's got a good balance to it as well. So 
everybody feels like if they have a good two, three weeks that they've got a genuine, genuine shot to, to, to get on the field. So the players that are on the field, they've got a healthy kind of, they're looking back over their shoulder a little bit. And, um, and then the whole thing kind of grows that culture of, of holding everybody accountable to the, to the details, I think. So you talk about standards, you talk about accountability. In, in the course of a college season, though, to be able to maintain that level of intensity is hard on both you as a coach and your staff and the players. So tell me how you work on that balance and that chemistry whereby your players are not coming to practice and going, oh, no, Scott's going to run us to death again. He's going to be honest, you know from the moment we step on the pitch to the moment we get off it. How do you find that balance? Yeah, I think we, we, we have a really good time. Like we really enjoy what we're doing and, you know, I'll joke around with them as much as I'll, you know, hammer them as well. Um, so I'm there to hold them accountable, but, uh, you know, we try and create an environment where, um, you know, people are enjoying themselves and, and, and try not to have a, a, a spectrum where on the one side you've got, work really hard and on the other side you've got have lots of fun it's try and connect those two ends you know and like why why can't we make you know do, do both at the same time um and then it's a little bit of you know we, we track all the stats the analytics and fatigue and those things um but it's also the, the coaches sometimes just have a gut instinct that we need to have a a low key day today you know and try and feather in these low key days to try and get um, a bounce out, a bounce out of the squad. When the whistle goes, that's what it's all about. It doesn't care. It really doesn't matter. How well we train on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday doesn't really impact the standings or, um, but the 90 minutes inside the, inside the white lines does. So it's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that you have to balance, I think. So when you went to Westwood, you know, you're massive underdogs. I, I watched the game. Um, I mean, you were on the back foot. You didn't have the possession. Was that was that the plan to go in to to, to see what UCLA had to offer and then maybe nick one? Or, or were you thinking, hey, we can go toe-to-toe with these lot? Um, we actually, I mean, the analytics show we actually had a, a really good amount of possession. Um, it was a lot higher than, I mean, they had more, they had more shots than us, for sure. Um, but in between the 18-yard boxes, we had quite a, quite a decent amount of possession. We, we played them earlier in the year. So, um, and thankfully for me, people forget that, that game earlier in the year, we were three nil down in 20 minutes, that first game. And we were a disaster. Um, but the game finished three, one and could have been three, two actually. So we felt like we did a lot of good things towards the end of that game. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, don't get bullied. Don't, don't show any, deference to these players these players just good players that you've grown up playing against um there's no there's no mystical um component to it so it was a little bit let's go toe to toe um but in a very respectful way tactically not respectful in a deferential way but um understand we're gonna have to work our butts off defensively and be very very organized and respect their offensive approach um but don't back down you know, never back down to, to these players. I think that's, that was a little bit of the mix. That's interesting because I went to see UCLA uh, earlier last season and they played uh, Northridge and, and Northridge said, oh, we're going to go toe-to-toe with them. 
and it didn't work out quite the way they expected. So, you know, it's, it's having that uh, mentality of knowing what you're up against, but sometimes tweaking things. So then, you know, you, you fast forward a year and you've got USC now. So you're on the other side of town. Once again, you're playing, uh, you know, a, a, a big favorite, but you've, you've got that now in your back pocket where, We've we've got we've gone to one of the favourites and, and we've got a result. So was was the was the mentality slightly different, or did did you feel like it was the same? We felt we felt um, more confident going into the USC game, absolutely, because we the, the pattern was exactly the same from from the year before. And that was part of the pre-game the night before. It was um, you know going back and looking at having been three 0 down against UCLA and coming back to three one. Same thing with SC earlier in the season. We were three 0 down. And came back to three two. And actually, felt like we just ran out of time in that game. So we mapped it directly onto that. Um, again, it was a lot of a lot of the players were very familiar to us. There was a lot of like small rivalries on the on the pitch, and we kind of uh, stoked that a little bit with our with our team. Um, and then with USC, just like UCLA, it's I reminded everybody that you know for the rest of your life you're going to be going to you know you might be at a a, a job interview. Um, dinner in a restaurant, drink in a bar, glass of champagne at a wedding, and you're going to be you're going to be around USC people the rest of your life. And and how how nice would it be in all of those interactions forever to be able to say, oh yeah, USC, what a great school. Yeah, we beat them in the NCAA tournament back in 2022. You know, um, so it was that one-off, really big opportunity. I think was was part of it as well. What kind of traditions did you bake into that that run last year? I mean, you know, sometimes uh, as coaches and as players, we get we get superstitions, and you went, "Oh, that well, that worked against UCLA in twenty one. We're going to do the same thing in twenty twenty two." I mean, did 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 you have true traditions, superstitions that you followed, or was it kind of off the cuff? The team the team have a lot of those sort of um, rituals that that they go through. It doesn't matter where we are, and they try and recreate those on the road. Um, they, there's a, there's a chant they do before they leave the, the locker room, for example, and that's been passed down, uh, from class to class. I mean, I remember the team doing exactly the same chant 10, 15 years ago. So the current team is still doing it. And when the alumni see it or hear it, they love it. They love it because it, it just connects with the way they were. So there's those pieces. Um, I remember going to, uh, a school in the WCC a few years ago and they just got brand new benches and the only place for us to do this chant was on these brand new benches and I, I it was so difficult I thought they were going to smash smash holes in the in these new benches but when you're at USC you've just got you've just got a couple of 10 by 10 easy ups in the in the parking lot you know and they were like well we're going to do it we're going to do it and I don't know whether they were banging chairs or what they were but they were banging something um so yeah definitely those rituals uh you don't always know you've got a locker room. Um, but what you know you've always got is a white line. And uh, we use the white line on the pitch, doesn't matter where we are, as a, uh, as a real moment to kind of centre everybody. Um, and if you see our team before a warm-up, they'll, they'll join hands on a sideline. Um, and there'll be a... Uh, it's a moment of reflection, really, uh, where they make a commitment to what they're going to do when they step across the white line. So that... Again, it doesn't matter where you are, you're, you're always going to have a white line and we step across it together. Um, and that was actually something that April Heinrichs introduced to our team in the season that her and I worked together back in 
2006 and we're still doing it. What's that like working with April? Obviously, uh, a player of world-class renown, won World Cups. Uh, did, did you learn a lot from her? And did she give you... Because you, you came from a, a men's assistant background, yeah. right, at, at Riverside. Did she give you the, the tips and tricks of, of how to deal with, you know, young ladies? She did. I learned, uh, I learned a lot. We worked together for about 11 months. Um, and, uh, like, I've never worked so hard in my life. Her, her work ethic and capacity for work is just like you wouldn't even believe it. Like I've, um, I thought I had a high work, I, I had a high kind of work ethic capacity, and I wasn't even close. So, um, yeah, tips and tricks, but also it's it revealed to me that it's there's a simple part to this whole thing as well. You got to do the work, and you got to get out there, and you got to. Um, she was just relentless in solving problems on the pitch uh, and reviewing video after a game. She'd disappear into the office for hours and come out and her hair's all over the place because she'd been, you know, literally scratching her head and she'd come out and she'd, I found, I found the solution for the next game, you know, and she'd have, she'd have figured something out. Um, but then I think what she doesn't get much, as much credit for is just how she is with individual players, like very, very um, just insightful when a player's having a good day and a bad day. Um, she, she's very direct, but she's also, um, very, very smart at, um, having a conversation, a quiet conversation off to the side with a player that just needs something small, something simple. Um, so very skillful on the human level. Um, so yeah, learned a lot. She corrected me, um, relentlessly when I needed correcting about the way I was doing things, whether it was the way I was speaking to the players, the way I was participating in practice where I was um you know she didn't want me playing with the team in a way that didn't reflect the players they'd be playing against so I had to adjust the way I passed the ball you know there's no point me hitting a 35 yard ball that they're not going to see that's not going to build the sort of culture you want Scott and then it was on the on the stopwatch that's not how you operate the stopwatch don't don't give them an extra 10 seconds at the end of the second half of a 7v7. They won't appreciate that, you know? Um, and then it was things like we were doing a, a short, short, long passing pan. Couldn't be simpler. For some reason, I couldn't figure out how she wanted me to, to do the second pass in it. <laughs> I remember she said in front of the, in front of the whole team, she said, um, she said, Scott, if, if, if you can't get it right, how can we expect them to get it right? And just turned and walked away. But it was brilliant. Like, 11 months, learned a ton. Like, she's amazing. That's so funny you bring up a short, short, long. I I uh, put a session like that together at UCSB and uh, and the girls were really struggling with it. And I'm like, this is so simple. <laughs> Why are we having such a hard time? And you really, you know, you, sometimes you really have to break things down because in, in, in when, as a coach, in your mind, yeah, something does seem very simple, but... I don't think it always translates around. Right. And, you know, you, you bring up a, an interesting thing about the, the, the culture and how you, how you go about maintaining that. And I'm, I'm wondering, is it now you or is it the players that are maintaining the culture? Because you've, you've obviously, you've bedded it in over, you know, your, your years with the program. And it's and it seems like it's. I mean, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it's being passed down from generation to generation, year to year. Are, are your players 
the culture warriors and, and you now just kind of manage it and oversee it? I think, I think that's the real, I, I would say that's, I think that's the real test of a culture. If it's, if, if it is getting passed down from team to team, I think that's a real reflection of how strong the culture is. Uh, I think our staff has been together now for almost 10 years. One of my assistant coaches played for me like 2007 to 2010. So those pieces really, really help. Um, a book that we read as a team is that book about the New Zealand rugby team. Uh, it's called, so the book is Legacy. Um, and I watched rugby play a little bit growing up. So I look at that team as something, a culture that is just unbreakable. And and that, that book kind of tells you the story about they got a little bit too comfortable with the culture automatically passing down. And they got to a point where they lost it a little bit. Um, so I've always tried to pay attention to it. I want it to be passed down from class to class, team to team. Um, but we just try and do a little bit of maintenance, you know, a little bit of maintenance every year. Go back to the principles. I don't worry too much about boring the team to death with the same old stories, you know, because I think they're I think they're important. And then we'll have alumni. We'll, we'll invite alumni to come back around and uh, spend time with the team, come and talk to the team. And uh, um, I think that helps too. As soon as you walk into my locker room, by the way, is the they see the 1997 uh, Big West Tournament Championship. It's not even a trophy. It's a, it's a little plaque. But I think that's a little bit of it as well, you know. Like, they see that it's, it's, it's the whole idea of we're standing on the shoulders of giants here and, and trying to remember that on a regular basis. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the book Legacy. I'm a big fan of it myself. Yeah. And, and, and within the book and within the, the, the culture that the, you know, the Kiwis created is that the elder statesmen of the team do the dirty work. They're the ones sweeping out the sheds. Mm. And within, and you can tell me if I'm wrong again, but with, within my experience of working in college soccer, and I've, I've done women and I've done men, um, the seniors have always tended to be this is our program and it's up to the freshmen to do the dirty work right does, how does that work within your program if you're following the ethos of legacy yeah there there are there are pieces that were easy, easier to kind of borrow from that book and other pieces that were a little harder um, but sweep sheds i mean right on my laptop right in front of me i've got a team culture sort of um it's a logo that, that we have, but there are kind of eight principles that sort of cycle around the, the, the core. And one of them is sweep sheds. Um, and the way we apply it is that we have different roles and responsibilities for each class. There's certain things that have to get done. So the freshmen are, are on equipment. So that's one thing that they do do is they set up the, or get the equipment out every day. The sophomores, they're in charge of the uniforms, you know, um, on game day um, when we are at home. But away games, it's the juniors that are responsible for transporting and, and, and moving around the kit and making sure it's all there. Uh, the seniors, their responsibility is the locker room, the shed, you know. And it's uh, and I say to them, listen, it doesn't mean that you have to be the ones all the time to physically clean it up, but you need to manage that operation, you know. Someone needs to take out the trash. Someone, you know, make sure somebody doesn't have grass in front of their locker, like hold people accountable. But ultimately, it's the seniors that that, that do that bit. Um, but I always remember we played a Pac-12 team. I won't tell you which team it was, but 
we're 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 about to leave the leave the field, and one of their seniors notices that they have some equipment left on the bench, which is the opposite side of the field to to the gate where everyone's hanging out. She yells across the field at her, "Hey, freshman, equipment!" And then she walks across the field as they go all the way back to get the equipment. And you know, every every program does it differently, um, and I understand that, but. The sweep and sheds principle, I think, is really uh, uh, impactful in so many ways. You know, as, as coaches, we talk we talk about buying sometimes, and I'm not a big fan of the word buying. I, I kind of like understanding. Right. But what do you do when you have players that don't want to buy in? They don't want to. They're kind of tunnel vision and the the understanding that everybody else is participating. And they're kind of off to the side and want to do their things. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges as a coach to create that team, to create the unit, to create the group. But if there's someone outside of the group, and and usually sometimes that person who's outside of the group is your better player or more talented player, how do you how do you fix that? Oh my goodness! Um, I think we try and hold ourselves to standards that that you know that helps. So. In the situation I described with the with the player yelling at the freshman, I, I would have just grabbed the stuff myself, you know, and uh, our staff will, will will do those things and we'll we'll take on a lot of those and, and just be a role model for it, you know, show them show them how to do it. Um, you know, my tendency is always to just have a little bit of fun with the player, you know, um, just have a little bit of fun, poke a little bit of fun at them for their personality because everyone knows it, right? When the player you're describing, everybody knows. And it can come out in different ways. Like we have a player who, um, you know, she's a midfield player and I wanted to switch the ball, right? I wanted to get the ball from one side of the field and help us get it to the other. She's so good technically that she always sees a way to solve it on that side of the field, right? Um, so just at our last game, before the game, I took her, a, I literally from, from Ace Hardware, I got a little switch and I handed it to her. So I got you this present and she's like, what? What, you, what is that? And, you know, now she's laughing about it with her teammates. They've got a little ribbon and tied it to her bag, you know. Um, that's just one little example. But we, we we try and just kind of cajole people along. But but as well, one of my one of my one of my bosses taught me at one point, like sometimes you're not going to be able to get them all on the bus, you know. And at some point that they'll 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 make the decision to continue to go a different direction. And, and at times that's OK. You know, and if they decide to, you know, move in a different direction, then so be it at some point. Do you feel like you failed when that happens? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, like earlier in my career, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't let that happen, you know, and I'd I'd try every every tool in the coaching toolbox to try and get that player to comply, you know, to get on board. Um, but the problem is one of the tools in that toolbox is that you, you, that you might raise your voice, you know, and you might try not, you might have already done the soft approach, but maybe there's a hard approach. And I think in the modern game where that, that tool has been taken away from us a little bit, um, you know, for good reasons, you know, but there's, there's, I think that. There's a there's an appropriate way to use that, um, but it can so easily be misinterpreted. So I've 
almost thrown that tool away now, you know, and sadly it means I fail with players I think I could have brought back on the bus. But I think that's, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it leads me to my next question because early in your career, you uh, sports psychology is something that's obviously uh, very important to you. How has that changed over the, I mean, you you published, uh, I see you published something in two, 2003. So we're now talking 20 years later. How yeah. has your sport psychology changed? Because, uh, you know, you, you, you brought up something really interesting about, you know, uh, when you were younger, a younger coach. And I, I cast my mind back to when I was a younger coach and some of the things I did, I'm, I'm horrified. You know, you're <laughs> like, what was I thinking? Because you do, you do mature and you do learn different things. But, you know, the, the psychology is now, it's such a huge component of your program. I mean, yeah. it, I, I, even at the, even at the um, high school where I'm the program lead, I would say 20 to 25% of my time now is spent on the psychological side of the game as opposed to even the tactical and technical yeah it's i mean it's huge i feel like it's um it's it's woven into everything we do i think from the moment that you get out of your car and you're walking across the car park to to the pitch and and you run into the first couple of players it can have you know, the way you react, the way you interact with the players in in that moment away from the field, thirty minutes before training is is can have an impact on the way they are then going to interact with the next players that they um, that they see. So if I if I get out of my car and I'm bouncing along and I'm I'm I'm, I'm in a positive uh, positive mindset, I can you know infuse that into the first players that I see, and hopefully that impacts the way they. You know, they, they they interact with their teammates, but then the research twenty years ago, honestly, it's 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 as impactful now as it was then, and it's quite simple. To, um, can you get your players to understand exactly what you are asking them to do? So make it very very clear. So feedback loops are very clean. Everyone's able to hold each other accountable to the same thing. So be really really clear. Um, but then it's it's. I know you don't like the phrase buy-in, but it's um, it's it's acceptance of that role, right? So it's that's the emotional piece, and that's probably the hardest. Like we can all teach. I think most coaches I see teach the game pretty well. This is the way that I want you to play. Um, but then how do you get someone to really absorb it with every piece of their mentality and emotion? So you've got to, you've got to make sure that the player understands how important them playing that role is to the compelling vision of the future for the whole team. Um, you've got to give players a role that they're good at. You know, if someone's um, someone wants to run in behind and that's what they're good at, let's find a role for them on the team and, and, and allow them to do that. Let's not try, not restrain them too much. Um, so, yeah, I feel like it's the DNA, right? It's coach the DNA of a player. Um, so many things going on in their, in their lives that you that, that can distract you, but at the end of the day, the DNA of a player today is the same as it was in in two thousand two, probably nineteen sixty two. That you know that the DNA is the same, and I feel like that's something we lean on. What is the DNA of a Scott Juniper player? Oh, what a question! DNA of a Scott Juniper player. Um, like I can't tolerate people that don't want to really work hard. Like 
I think that's a that's a fundamental. If if someone someone wants to shirk that or um, you know not hit a line as if we're running, you know I, I don't have any tolerance for that. And and we filter out most of that in the recruiting process. I think um, you know I had four grandparents that grew up or were you know they they were they lived through the Second World War. You know what I mean. So as a kid, there was no tolerance for whining complaining, making excuses. Um, and interestingly, that maps onto the, the, the full John Wooden sort of framework when I, when I learned about that when I moved here. So somewhere, somewhere in there is the DNA. Um, but yeah, no, let's, let's go for it. Let's take responsibility. Let's, let's not um, make excuses. Um, on the pure soccer side, you know, I'm, I'm a Tottenham fan. So... Yeah, exactly, exactly. So hopefully, I've hopefully I've um, absorbed a little bit of the beauty of the game and the way that it's played there with a little bit more winning. Well, so I would say though that your teams are anything but Spursy. You know, having having coached against you a couple of times, um, what I really admired uh, about the qualities of your team was just that they play on the edge. And 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 I love that. And I, I, I'm not sure if that is an English thing or, or uh, it, it translates into uh, American coaches. But I've always kind of set up my teams to play on 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 that hairy edge. Not 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 to go over it, but you you have to play on that edge. And and now and now I'm really confused about you because I didn't know you were a Spurs fan. So <laughs> tell me tell me how you how you blend. Your team's playing on the edge. We've been Spursy. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The nature of being Spursy, um, you know, uh, not being able to put games away or, you know, playing below your potential. Uh, maybe knowing that has, has, has helped me. I'm, I'm constantly fighting against it. But uh, no, I just, I've, always, I've always loved, like, competition. Like, I've always loved it, you know. And it, it brings out – I think it brings out the best in me as a, as a human. Um, I had an older brother, grew up with an older brother, two years older than me. And it's just constant, you know, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, uh, or I say the moment you go to sleep, because, you know, it's just never ending competition, you know, and you learn to rise to that. And you learn that if you do that, if you rise to it and, and you're just relentless in the application of it, every now and again, I can get the better of my big brother. That's brilliant. <laughs> so... Where are Spurs going to end up this season? I think they'll get fourth. Honestly, I think they'll. I think they'll get that fourth spot. It's going to be hard, um, but we've got the we've got enough players that can put the ball in the back of the net. You know, I think we can we can tolerate a couple injuries um, in that area that we couldn't before. Um, you know, yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. Four, I, I, I'll go for it. Fourth. What about you? Where, where, where do you see us? Um, well, I, I, I've got a soft spot. I've always got, I had a soft spot for Spurs growing up in North London. Um, but you're Spursy. So I could see, you know, obviously Liverpool, I thought, but then, you know, they're all over the place. They've become very Spursy as well. Yeah. Um, does Conte stay or does Pochettino come back next year? It's so hard. Like, um, I think he just had the, the the surgery, gallbladder removed, and I I have a feeling he's he's seeing life through a different lens now. 
I'd almost like to see him go back to Italy, be be more Italian in Italy with his family around him. I think that might fit fit him uh, better. But the Pochettino thing, I know that so many Spurs fans want Poch to come back. Um, but he was fantastic with a young group of Spurs players. And then once like he got everything out of them, like he got them to run through brick walls and it, they got to a point of maturity where they weren't going to do that anymore. I, that's the way I saw it. And, and that's when it started to slip. So I'm not sure that Poch is the answer. I'm not sure that because he's got an older group of players now. Uh, they're not the players they were back then. Um, and I don't think he can just come in, increase the work rate, press everything and, you know, be be that sort of swashbuckling team. Uh, I'm not sure he's the answer. I don't know who is the answer, but this is similar with Klopp at Liverpool, right? I mean, you can only push him that hard for so long. Interesting, you know, we, we we talk about pushing players and, and you're very good at that. And I think the within the college cycle, though, the great thing is because they're always recycling. So, yeah. you know, by the time the message has got old, it's become new again. So that's, that's uh, I think, one of the advantages of just having players for four years. Let's finish up with the Anteaters. You're back-to-back Big West champions. You're going to go for the three-peat. And having coached in the Big West, I know how hard it is. Every game... It's a cup final. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, every game is a battle. This, <laughs> anytime you think, oh, this is going to be an easy game, you know, you, you, you get a kick in the teeth. So can you 3 P? How do you feel your chances are? Well, I think we can. We can do it. We've got a lot of talent coming back and we've got some players that are coming in that I think are going to surprise a couple of people. Um, but like you said, the Big West is so strong. Though A lot of the coaches have been around for, for forever. So you kind of know each other inside and out. Um, you know, you, you might have to go to Hawaii uh, one week and then next week you're up at Davis and then Bakersfield, Santa Barbara, Riverside. Every one of those games have different challenges and people look at standings and rankings. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, if you're not, if you're not ready, you're going to get your, um, you're going to get it handed to you. So yes, we can do it, but it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, I think we've got the team to do it. What we've got to learn from last year is that we can't leave games, can't leave games on the table. You know, we tied five games last year and it just killed us. You know, that was a new dynamic for us. We'd won so many games in overtime. Um, We've got to learn to win games in, you know, in the first 70 minutes, honestly, because that last 20 minutes can disappear uh, if people are happy to go home with a draw. No more overtime. That's right. Um, Players, coaches and parents often come up to me and, and, and they want to know, how do I get in touch with a, a Scott Juniper? How, how would they do that? Yeah, email is the best way, honestly. I mean, my email inbox is, um, is flooded with uh, prospective players that are interested. Um, we read every one of them. Uh, they get filed away and uh, where, where they need to be. Uh, and we use those, to, uh, you know, keep an eye on players. But yeah, email is the best way. I mean, people get in touch with us through through Twitter and uh, Instagram and stuff, but that's so much harder to track. Email still is the uh, is the best way, I think. And the best email address? Sjuniper at uci.edu. 
Scott Juniper, a fantastic coach. And as always, if you want to keep in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at Nick Webster. And Cal South, you can find on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'll be back with the Bear and the Ball next week. Until then, Scott Juniper, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Thank you.